Sorry. Welcome, folks, to another week of the Midwestern Nerds. I'm Chad Coffin. And I'm Brian Stoffel. You know who we are, but let us tell you who we are. We're the Midwestern Nerds. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-E-R-N-E-R-D-S. We're at Midwestern Nerds on Twitter and Instagram at gmail.com and the Midwestern Nerds podcast on Facebook. You can get us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found please remember to rate and review us subscribe tweet whatever you gotta do to give us love so we can give you love we appreciate it and with that nerdy stuff out of the way the nerdiest of the nerdy stuff let's kick it over to brian with the news flash we have a variety of different news stories this week and rest assure you it is 2021, unfortunately, it's not 1987, it's not 1993. Some of these news topics are kicking it back into the time machine, talking about things of the past, but new information and elements from these has come to light. So we're going to kick it old school with some news this week, starting off with some exciting news. If you live in Stevens Point, Wisconsin... You might be getting a RoboCop statue to your city. This this news has me jazzed. <laughs> so there was a story that came out this week. The mayor of Stevens Point, Mike Weza, is trying to convince a group of Detroit artists to send their 11-foot-tall statue of RoboCop some 520 miles to Stevens Point, Wisconsin, after the Michigan Science Center turned it down. Weeza said, we've known for a long time that RoboCop star Peter Weller was from Stevens Point. I also graduated from high school with one of his cousins. When I saw that they don't have a place to put his statue, I started reaching out, trying to get in touch with someone who was involved in the project to let them know that, hey, if you don't have a home for it, how about you bring it home literally to Peter Weller's hometown? We'd love to have it. Some really random news. This guy really wants the statue so bad to where there's a different group that's already in the process of getting the statue. And he's trying to be like, no, you should send it over here. And he's like, if we can't get that one, we're going to build a 12 foot statue instead. Like he is (laughs) bound and determined to get this RoboCop statue to Stevens Point. This article was from Vice. We will post the story on all of our socials because it is an interesting read. It's very bizarre, very random. And the drive that the mayor of Stevens Point has to get this statue is very comical. (laughs) I've always felt this way for a long time about mayors. Like the mayor of New York is different or the mayor of Philadelphia is different. But like the mayor of Stevens Point Every city has a mayor, but like 
what real purpose do they serve other than cutting ribbons? Like, of course this guy has time to put in to try to get a statue brought to them, whether it's a Robocop statue or a Point Brewery statue, whatever it may be. He's got the time, so why not put in the effort? It made sense when it was up in Detroit because Robocop takes place in Detroit like the movie does. But to be like, we need a Robocop statue because the actor who played Robocop that nobody really knows about unless you're a hardcore Robocop fan. Yeah, People are going to... Peace de resistance, right? Like, stick it right on campus, right in the middle of, like, the biggest courtyard. It's like, why is there a Robocop statue? Funny you should ask! I suppose that's a fun little bit of trivia, then, that you would get. It's a very interesting story. Like I said, we'll post it on our socials just so you guys can all check it out if you want to. Next newsflash story deals with a very popular Jim Carrey franchise. If you're a fan of the Ace Ventura movies, you're in store for a next installment in the franchise. Ace Ventura 3 is in development right now for Amazon from the writers of Sonic the Hedgehog, according to Morgan Creek, the franchise's production company. Titles such as Ace Ventura, Major League, Young Guns, Dead Ringers, Diabolic, and Nightbreed are a few examples of the multi-platform projects on the fast track for reinvention. Ace Ventura will also see a new day at Amazon as a major motion picture slash theatrical with the Sonic the Hedgehog writers. Morgan Creek doesn't mention whether or not Jim Carrey will be in Ace Ventura 3. His name isn't dropped anywhere at all in this announcement. So it's up in the air whether this is going to be a sequel or a reboot. Yeah, but with when you look at it, though, because you're talk- these are from the creators or the writers of Sonic. It's from the writers of Sonic. So the writers of Sonic, who wrote Sonic with Jim Carrey as one of the main, the main villain, one of the main characters in the show, and now they just happen to be working on Ace Ventura. Coincidence is coincidence does, but that's pretty hit. That's it's pretty close to the heart. You're very right there. The thing that makes me nervous though, is the fact that they use the word reinvention quite a bit throughout this press release statement. So maybe they're hoping that Jim Carrey will come back. Maybe he hasn't like confirmed or signed the deal or whatever, but if he backs out, then they can be like, well, we never said he was going to be in it. We're going to make this a reboot. As stupid as that would be, I mean, I guess they could do it. So, the only thing that we know right now is Ace Ventura 3 is in the works for Amazon with the writers of Sonic the Hedgehog. It's from the movie. It is from the movie. (laughs) Yes, this is another older movie that is coming back into the news recently. With all the hype around Zack Snyder's Justice League, lots of people on Twitter have been bringing up other movies that could get like a definitive cut or a director's cut or an expanded cut. And one of those movies that's been popping up and trending on Twitter has been Mrs. Doubtfire, the Robin Williams movie. The reason that this has been coming up is because while they were filming the scenes with Robin, they filmed like 15 to 20 different takes, and each time he was doing something different. And there were a lot of scenes that he ran with and went a little bit above that family-friendly area that the movie very much sits in. 
so much so to the fact that in interviews, Chris Columbus, the director, has teased that there could be a rated R or an NC-17 version of this movie. To Entertainment Weekly in 2015, Christopher Columbus said, The reality is that there was a deal between Robin and myself, which was he'll do one or two, three scripted takes. And then he would say, then let me play. And we would basically go on anywhere between 15 to 22 takes. I think 22 being the most I remember. He would sometimes go into territory that wouldn't be appropriate for PG-13 movie, but certainly appropriate and hilariously funny for an R-rated film. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to see some version of this. <laughs> release release some scenes with like the anniversary box set of the movie, and I'd be happy. I just, I would like to see which scenes and where he goes. Well, new Robin Williams content, I'll never turn down. The guy, unfortunately, has, has left this plane of existence, so we won't get anything new or more from him so anything that could come out and be like a snyder cut of a robin williams movie i'm all in for and our last news flash story if you are a batwoman fan and you realize that your main character is a little bit different lo and behold the main character (laughs) skin color change uh the main character is making a return to the show but they've recasted Kate Kane, who was Batwoman in season one, they've recasted the character now for season two with Wallace Day. In season two, Kate Kane is alive but unrecognizable due to injuries she sustained in a crash. She is bandaged and being held hostage currently in the show. So that said, Day will play an altered version of Kate. What? They had a white girl play the first season, and then she got hurt and was all bandaged up and brought in a black woman to play her. All bandaged up and hurt. The black woman's a different character, but has taken on the Batwoman role. Okay, okay. For a minute, I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, we made Batwoman black, but she's all wrapped in bandages. And then the second they're like, oh, she's going to be fine. We make her white. All right. Okay. No. All so right. I will let you continue. The different movie. character. Different characters. Mantles. Got it. Got it's it. It's interesting, though, that they're bringing the other character that was Batwoman in season one back. Back. Sure. So Wallace Day, if you don't know who she is, she starred as one of the leads in the show Krypton on the sci-fi channel which was like a Superman show. Her other TV credits include Jekyll and Hyde, Casanova, The Royals, and Day recently wrapped the feature film Infinite for director Antoine Fuqua, where she stars opposite of Mark Wahlberg and Chuyatol Ejiofor. And that is our newsflash for the week. Now to hit our main news topics, we're going to start off with a comic series that is going to be quickly adapted to Netflix, Berserker, the Berserker series that was developed by Keanu Reeves and is currently going underway in the comics from Boom Studios. Netflix has picked up the screen rights to Boom Studios published comic, whose first issue only hit shelves two weeks ago. And they are developing it as a feature film adaptation as well as an anime spinoff. Keanu Reeves will star in both projects as well as produce them. 
Keanu Reeves created the concept of the story, and he's working with artist Ron Garney and Eisner-nominated comics author Matt Kint for the comic book series. Netflix is taking a multi-medium approach to this title as it seeks to build out a cinematic universe and its IP libraries, including Berserker. My love is like a truck. Berserker. Would you like some fuck Berserker? Did he just say, would you like some fuck? Yeah, those Russians are wild, man. (laughs) So, Berserker, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, and Bird Box are all being worked out right now to expand enough to become a Netflix cinematic universe. <laughs> I'm very curious to see how. Very apocalyptic yeah. kind of stuff going on. So it's going to be very interesting, but the fact that the first issue of this series has only been out for two weeks and Netflix has already been like, yup, we'll take that, we'll make it into a movie, and we'll make it into an anime show. Boom. Done. It's pretty crazy. And our last big news story of the week. More movie release dates and ways that they're coming out have been shifted due to the continuing pandemic. And thanks a lot, COVID. (laughs) Disney is shaking up their release schedule and their release strategy for the next coming months. Most notably, Black Widow and Cruella DeVille will now premiere on Disney Plus at the same time that they open in theaters. Cruella is arriving as scheduled on May 28th, while Black Widow has been pushed back two more months and will now debut on July 9th instead of May 7th. Both titles will be offered on Premiere Access, which comes at a $30 rental fee from Disney Plus. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which was originally set to release on July 9th, is now being bumped back to September 3rd. It's expected to have a traditional theatrical release without a Disney Plus release. Pixar's animated coming-of-age adventure Luca won't be played in theaters anymore and instead is launching exclusively on Disney Plus at no extra cost on June 18th. And a slew of 20th century films have been postponed, but will bow solely on the big screen. These movies include Free Guy, which is now coming out on August 13th. The King's Man, which is now dropping on December 22nd. Deep Water is now coming out on January 14th of 2022. And Death on the Nile is now releasing on February 11th, 2022. It's interesting that Black Widow is finally now getting its Disney Plus release. We've all been waiting for like a year and a half for this to happen. Maybe. We've heard that it's going to get a release probably seven different times. There's no way we can know for sure until the day comes. Reps at Disney made this announcement of like all of these. So there's an official announcement. It was all over like the Marvel and Avengers like Facebook pages that now Black Widow releasing on july 9th in theaters and on disney plus i want to hope it doesn't go any further but i i can't hold my breath because this movie was supposed to come out wasn't it march of 2020 april april okay so it's april so now we're looking at april may june july we're looking at 15 months after it was supposed to come out originally movie's done the pops are out 
the posters are out, the action figures are out, everything is out except the actual freaking movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll hold. I, I'm not going to hold my breath because who knows? Yes, while Disney says this is going to happen, this movie has been said more than once. This is going to happen. I think now that they've confirmed that, okay, we will release it on Disney Plus, if theaters aren't open enough and making enough right now to release this in the theaters, I think that's why they tacked on the Disney Plus because they're like, it's a Marvel movie. It's a Marvel movie that everyone's been waiting for, like you said, 15 months for. People are going to pay for it. You know, even if it doesn't release in the theaters or if it does release in the theaters, but not enough are open. Anybody who can get their hands on a Disney Plus account is going to get their hands on this and they're going to pay the $30 to watch it. It's a little riskier, though, because now like we could go over to each other's houses and be like, all right, one will pay the 30 bucks and then who's ever here watching chip in to cover the cost. We talked about that. I said for for me. $30 microwave popcorn and a box of candy is so much cheaper than taking my wife and my kid to the movies and getting a babysitter. Like I put my baby down and then my wife and I and the oldest and you and and your girlfriend, and maybe we invite another couple over to watch the movie. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movie tickets and no popcorn and no candy sold at the theater for 30 bucks. Like it's, it's crazy. So to roll the dice and say, hey, we're going to do this. I mean, again, we've talked about this more than once. Disney has more money than anyone could ever imagine having, so they can roll the dice like this. But uh, yes, we'll really see. Until we get out, out of this pandemic, I don't really think we're going to see the headfirst dive back into movie theaters again. So yes, while it's cool that they're offering it in theaters for the select few that will go and see it and for the experience... I think that it's it is good that they're offering that Disney premiere access um, to see these movies that would have been in theaters. I know that Black Widow, with the movies that she's been in, has that following, that audience. But it'd be interesting if this was like an Avengers movie or Black Panther. Like, would they roll that dice to put it on Disney Plus, or would they be like, nope, we're just going to keep bumping it until we can get butts you in theaters. Have, yeah, you have to come see it. Sure. It's a great thought. And that is our news for the week. And you know what that means? We're going to head into the main topic, and as we've done in weeks past, we're going to head into this week. We're going to give you another episode, another installment, another epilogue of the Comics Corner. We're just going to turn the corner to another side of the street and talk about Monica Rambeau, a character that was originally introduced in the MCU before this as a small child in the form of Maria Rambeau's daughter in Captain Marvel. So if you guys remember in Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers has the friend Maria Rambeau and she has a daughter named Monica who has a big connection with Carol Danvers, with Captain Marvel. And this is who, I mean, it's obviously it's shown in, in WandaVision. We're not giving too many spoilers away. But that's who this is. This is Monica Rambeau, grown up. Uh, she joins one of the larger entities in the Marvel Universe, one of the more secretive governing bodies similar to S.H.I.E.L.D. in the form of S.W.O.R.D. Uh, a lot of people won't know that name because it doesn't come up a lot or at all in the, the MCU, literally until this show, uh, but is prevalent in the comics. This character, interestingly enough, has four first appearances one in 82 one in 96 
one in 05 and one in 2013. And you want to know why? Because she changes her name four different times. Oh, geez. So she originally makes an appearance. Her original appearance is first in Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 16 in 82, and then in Avengers Unplugged number 5 in 96, then in New Thunderbolts number 9 in 05. I know you're a, you're a Thunderbolts guy, right? Ish. Yes. I know you had to read some of their storylines to keep up with uh, some of the other books you read with uh, Winter Soldier and stuff. Then the Mighty Avengers number one in 2013. So even more recently, up until just eight years ago, she made a first appearance. So Monica Rambeau, in the show, we get a little tease of it. But she was born in New Orleans, Louisiana to Frank and Maria. Holds true to the MCU. Uh, she's a lieutenant in the New Orleans Harbor Patrol. Uh, she, at a certain point, was trying to prevent the creation of a dangerous weapon, and she was exposed to extra-dimensional energy, and she is basically able to convert her body into energy, which is kind of what we see in the show, to a certain extent. Okay. Um, it happens a couple times, which is like, oh, maybe this, maybe that. So uh, the media dubbed her Captain Marvel, even though there was already kind of a Captain Marvel but they dubbed her this, and she's just like, okay, well, whatever. Which is interesting, because it's not really spoilerish, because it's been announced, but she was the little girl in Captain Marvel 1. She's going to be in Captain Marvel 2. Her origin to her powers in the comics, from what you just read us, feels like it very much was Carol Danvers' origin story to her powers in the MCU. So I will let you continue, but I just wanted to throw that little bit of tidbit knowledge out there. So she ends up actually having an excess of energy because she doesn't know how to control her powers originally. And to get her dialed in, Iron Man and Spider-Man actually draw off some of her energy and take it in themselves. So Tony using it in his suits, and Spider-Man actually taking in some of the powers themselves. Yeah, that was a wild ride when we had Cosmic Spidey. Yep. And, and he was like, imagine your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man with the powers of a god. Not so friendly neighborhood anymore. <laughs> That's my kind of Spider-Man. So they drained off the power. It almost caused her to endanger others, kill other people. She's like, I can't have it. They're going to help me out. So... She decided to fight crime under the name after the guidance of none other than Ben Grimm. So Ben Grimm basically, she's, she's struggling because she's like, there's already a Captain Marvel. Like, there's already been more than one Captain Marvel. And Ben Grimm's like, I'm probably not the only thing in the universe. And she's like, you got me there, Ben. So then she takes on the moniker of Captain Marvel and starts fighting crime. So she sought out the Avengers originally to help her manage her powers. And then soon, aiding against, I love the early on superheroes, so like villains, so often because you read them and you're like, like we just read Pasta Pot Man or whatever, <laughs> like Pasta Pot people. But a lot of them, it's like, oh man, like with the Power Rangers writers doing some of these villains, like Pudgy Pig, Pasta Yeah, Man. no kidding. Uh, Nasty night. So, uh, aiding against Egghead after mentorship through Captain America and Wasp and her battle against Plant Man. She gained full status, uh, making her the first African-American heroine in the Avengers. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, she assisted 
Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch when they battled Dracula. Um, some of her main villains uh, were Moonstone and Blackout. So Moonstone was a psychiatrist with like superpowers and then uh, Blackout had powers as well. He was like uh, his assistant. Their first run-in was with the Avengers. They were opposing the two when they were trying to escape incarceration from the Pegasus Project. So when the Pegasus Project was going down, they're trying to lock down uh, super baddies and stuff. The Avengers are trying to track guys down and that's when they first ran into them. So she's a full-fledged member of the Avengers. Rambeau later lost her ability to return to her human form after her battle with Dr. Eric Paulson uh, with Spider-Man and Star Fox. So Spider-Man and Star Fox were in this battle with Dr. Eric Paulson. And during the battle, she was caught basically in the state, in her state of energy, and she wasn't able to turn back. Then the Beyonder shows up and the Secret Wars begin. And then all the stuff goes down with Secret Wars. And everybody knows that after Secret Wars, basically everything gets rewritten and everybody gets put back in place and some people remember, some people don't, et cetera, et cetera. This is when we see her back against Moonstone and Blacko. So they return as a member of Baron Zemo's Masters of Evil, trapping her in the Dark Force dimension. But then with the help from the Shroud, she escaped and retook the mansion. So she was never at Secret Wars. She was still on earth when all that was going down but a handful of people villains were obviously still on earth too same as heroes they were trying to take avengers mansion so moonstone and blackout were there they trapped her in the dark force she gets back out and she's pissed so when she comes out she retakes the mansion she paralyzes moonstone and she kills blackout so inadvertently um but it still happens so uh captain marvel also battled the beyonder uh Confused Jean Grey, King the Conqueror, Atuma, and the Grandmaster. Like the list of people that she has battled over the years, it's another, it's, it's, it just shows how much uh, this is a character that is important, but probably won't get talked about a ton. Actually, a lot of people talk about how they like Monica Rambeau's Captain Marvel even more than Carol Danvers's uh, from the comics, but that's uh, led up to opinion at that point. I mean, there's enough time in the MCU right now where they could change that over especially since again her introduction as subtle to her powers as it was in wandavision very much fits this character that was established in the comics also with the way the public opinion feels about brie larson as captain marvel you never really know how long exactly plus she stood toe to toe with scarlet witch at one point too in the show which again shows the level of her powers even though she really doesn't know what they are at this point all right so after that goes down obviously like we said she has all these big name villains not necessarily her villains but villains that she goes up against big baddies she actually ends up replacing wasp as the leader of the avengers for a while as the leader, she leads them in battles against the X-Men, the Olympian gods, and the Super Adaptoid. So again, there's like a lot of big names on this list that go up against this Captain Marvel. Um, like we said, for some people, they're preferred Captain Marvel. One other, none other than Impractical Jokers, Brian Q. Quinn. There we go. In the Tom Steve Dave uh, Patreon, they him and Walt do what's called I Buy Comics because Mike and Ming do I Sell Comics. So these guys do I Buy Comics. Basically, there's a spoof off of that, but they when they did the run of Secret Wars, 
they talked about, you know, the difference between the two of them. Anyways, so she ends up losing her powers at one point to take down Leviathan. So Leviathan is actually Namor or Namor's wife. So Namor all the time has gone good, bad, good, bad. And it's not necessarily all up to him. It's basically just Marvel never really knew what to do with the character. Even more not know what to do with them. They didn't know what to do with his costume. They changed his costume like 16 times. So well, he changed from good to bad 14 times. He changed his costume like 20 times. So. Well, that's because his original costume was green chainmail undies, like whitey tighties. And then he had the low wing feet. <laughs> like, you can't have a dude walking around in green whitey tighties, you know? Well, then he went to all black. And then all black with the collar. And then back to green. And then it's like, well, it's kind of Aquaman. And then, you know, it just it jumped around so many different times. Anyways, so Namor's wife turns into this giant sea creature, the Leviathan. Um, she turns into, uh, not the Leviathan, Monica turns into a giant bolt of energy. And she goes to hit the Leviathan and then hits the ocean. And because her energy is kind of like works similarly to electricity, got dispersed across all of the oceans on the planet. So it basically spread her out so thin that it completely weakened her, like sapped her basically down to nothing, crippled her, leaving her just withered and frail and weak. She slowly regained her powers, you know, little by little. They weren't as big and bad as they were before when she was battling her big baddies. Uh, she ended up serving as a reservist for the Avengers for a long time. Uh, she helped repel an Atlantean invasion. And then she really got back into the swing of things when Quasar assembled a team to prevent the Star Blasters, which were a group of supervillains who were set on pushing the moon away from the Earth. He put together a team that included her, Black Bolt, Hyperion, Icarus, Darkstar, Vanguard, Perun, and Carol Danvers herself, uh, Captain Marvel. I recognized uh, about three or four of those names. Yeah, Black Bolt. <laughs> I mean, me too. Black Bolt, Hyperion, Captain Marvel, both of them. So anyways, due, when that was all going down, due to help from the alien stranger, she actually accelerated back to full power. We always talk about that. Like, comics have a, have a very interesting and fun way of always getting what they need done however they want it done. So bringing someone back to life getting someone back to power, killing someone, however they need to do it, they'll find a way to do it. So it's like, and during this battle, she met this alien called the Stranger, and he helped accelerate her powers, and then he was never seen from again. You know, it's just like that. It's so fast, and it's over. So leave it up to comics, man. Like, what did we say? How many times did Vision die? <laughs> right. He died like seven or eight times. Uh, and that's even without the divorce. <laughs> uh, so she returns to the Avengers, but she returns as Photon. And the reason is, is because Genis, or Genis, G-E-N-I-S, Captain Marvel's son, the original Marvel, Captain Marvel, his son, Genis Bell, wanted to be Captain Marvel. And he's like, she's like, all right, whatever, I'll be Photon. I like this better. So she becomes Photon, but then later, Genis Bell liked photon better than captain marvel so he wanted that name instead so she's like okay you little twats i will be pulsar so this is where you get all the first appearances from you know it staggers out it's not really her appearances it's just the characters that she took on 
So later when she became, sorry, what's the last one on the list here? Spectrum, Spectrum Internet. Uh, she led Next Wave. So she was, uh, she led Next Wave. She was also a member of Captain America's Secret Avengers. While yet she still signed up for the initiative. She also had a deep and long lasting relationship secretively with Brother Voodoo, which I could get into a whole nother storyline with Brother Voodoo, but as a little tease, Brother Voodoo takes over at a certain point for Doctor Strange as Sorcerer Supreme. Hmm. So uh, tied in there, uh, she actually later became the leader of Luke Cage's Mighty Avengers. Her powers include energy absorption, generation, and manipulation. She can travel up to light speed in her energy form. She can transform any form of energy within the electromagnetic spectrum and travel through the vacuum of space as energy at any speed. So she also has the power of intangibility, so she can basically turn into nothing. So a character that we've seen very little of but we've seen more of and some teases of her powers in the show as we've just shown you has a lot of juice yeah i could see her being the next captain marvel or another captain marvel in the mcu what were her other three monikers again she went by captain marvel photon pulsar and spectrum i think photon is the most popular besides Captain Marvel of her four monikers that I can remember. So if they choose to keep Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, I could see her going by that name, Photon. Captain Marvel so far in the MCU has very much been very space-oriented. So if they wanted to, I think they could have two Captain Marvels. They could have one doing the outer space stuff and they could have one doing the the earth stuff so i think they could do keep monica rambo on earth to be the earth's captain marvel and they could keep brie larson's uh carol danvers up in space to be space captain marvel if they wanted to but if they had to give her a different name than captain marvel i think they would go with photon well and similarly to scarlet witch they really never use her name. Like, have they called Carol Danvers Captain Marvel at any point yet? No. Right. So, like, that could be a thing, too, where they could both just exist as who they are. And we could be wrong. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. But if we're not, they could both just exist and do their thing for the longest time because the name Scarlet Witch has been tossed around a billion and a half times since she first showed up in Ultron. But guess what? Never got said. Until, yeah, mm -hmm. I think this might be my favorite comics corner that we've done so far, just because I didn't really know a whole lot of these characters, like seeing them in the show. Like I know like the basics of them and some background knowledge, but not as much as what you've given us here. And this very much has me excited for their future in the MCU, just because I feel like so far their characters have been so accurately captured and portrayed in some way, shape, or form in the show. And just their history in the comics so far very much has a lot of open doors and little magnifying glasses as to where they could pop up next and what those roles are going to look like. Monica Rambeau and Captain Marvel, I feel like she could pop up 
in any of the other Disney Plus shows too coming forward and I feel like she could carry the the Earth Captain Marvel title or what have you or be Photon or whatever of the four that she chooses to be. Yeah, this was one that not only educated our listeners here, but also educated your hosts of this show as well. Couldn't agree more, Brian. Like you said, I know you appreciate listening to it. I appreciate doing the legwork on it. When I get to read, I'm like, there's way more to this than I ever knew. You know, and even when I hear the name, I'm like, I knew that person. Doesn't mean I know a lot about it. Like, I can be all smug when they show up on the screen. I'm like, yeah, I know them. Like, and who knows, know? maybe maybe even Pasta Pot Man makes a big appearance some, somewhere down the line. And if he does, you heard it first here. Pasta Pot the Midwestern. <laughs> Yo, it's time to check in and check out. It's time for the ch 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 I've got one story for you this week, and unfortunately, it's not sports ball related, but it's sports player related. Deshaun Watson, the now former quarterback of the Houston Texans, is in a lot of hot water. So as of Tuesday, there are 16 sexual assault or sexual harassment lawsuits that have been filed against Deshaun Watson. Rusty Harden, I don't... I hate to assume things, but when you have a lawyer named Rusty, all I can think about is Dale Gribble's made-up uh, alter ego, Rusty Shackleford, um, who he pawns everything off of. Uh, Rusty Harden, Watson's lawyer, strong evidence that one claim is false, quote-unquote, calls into question the legitimacy of other cases as well. I know often we talk about how we don't tackle hardline subjects. We don't get into the meat of stuff. I think this is the biggest subject in sports right now, and it is a mess. Harden, so Watson's lawyer, believes that any case stating that Watson forced a woman to commit sexual acts is false. When I first heard about this, the original story came out, there was one accusation. And after one, it's like, who really knows? I, you know, it's innocent until proven guilty. You don't really know. There's a guy with a lot of money. A lot of things can go on with this. And then after that, it was three. And then it was five. And then it was 10. And then it was 16 women who have all come out and filed lawsuits against this individual. It's hard to believe that with 16 women all standing and saying the same thing, that something unsavory happened that we could truly believe that something didn't happen. It would, that would be quite the coup of women or anybody to come together and cause a real false uprising against somebody. Tony Busby is the Houston lawyer filing the lawsuits for the 16 women. He believes wholeheartedly that they are victims and that they have been wronged. Of course, that's his stance he needs to take. Hopefully uh, justice is served. Hopefully we come to light with what's going on. We're not here to say one way or the other if he did it or didn't do it or the women are right or the women are wrong. We're just here trying to provide as much information to people as possible. Yes, while I could give you my opinions on the fact that while all this information is out, it seems a little unsavory. I can't make one strong opinion on the fact until the decision is made. The two things I'll add to this 
In January, a woman attempted to blackmail Deshaun Watson by demanding $30,000 for her indefinite silence. So whether this is a woman who would be included in the uh, 16 that there was something that happened, or if it was somebody who was just chasing money, we don't know. But I will say with everything that's surrounding this, the Houston Texans did sever ties and cut the quarterback who at this time is probably a top 10 quarterback in the league and cut him from the team. So whether they know the truth or 100% of the truth, they decided that there's a lot of stuff going on that they don't need to be a part of, and they did cut him from the team. When you're the Texans, you almost have to. I mean, you're a national football team. Granted, you're not going to get everybody to leave if you keep him on, in quotations, support him. But you are going to look real bad to quite a few people if you do keep him on. So they almost had to at this point. But like you said, until there's like a an official decision that's made, all you can really say is when you look at what's out right now, it looks to me like he's pushed against that wall pretty tight. So what could be <clears throat> deemed as one of our catchphrases on this show, only time will tell. <laughs> And as time tells, that is the end of the time for the channel I checked down this week. We're going to kick it over to Brian for the best top recommendations. My recommendation for this week is the source material to a brand new show that's coming out on Amazon Prime the same day that you are getting this episode of the Midwestern Nerds. My best off recommendation this week is the series Invincible. This is an image comic property. It is getting an animated adaptation to Amazon Prime this week. You're getting the first three episodes of the series. And to put this series into one word, I would describe it as fun. This is the most fun I've had reading a comic book series in quite a long time. It's all brand new to the fact that it doesn't tie into Marvel. It doesn't tie into DC. It doesn't really tie into any image properties. There are some characters here and there that uh, come in and out that you might recognize that you've seen them before, but you don't really know who they are. They play a little enough role where you're not going to be confused to seeing these people. But this story focuses on this teenage kid whose name is... Michelangelo, and he's a turtle. No. Oh, damn. <laughs> Mark Grayson. It's like if your dad was Superman and you got his powers and then you're learning to become a superhero is essentially the gist of this series. To me, it's like if Stan Lee would have written Superman's son and gave him Peter Parker's personality. It very much feels like if Superman had the personality of Spider-Man and was written to be in circumstances like Spider-Man, but had like Superman's powers. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a twist that happens towards the end of like the first book, which is where I think they're going to end this first season. And then from there, it goes full Robert Kirkman. So Robert Kirkman, if you don't know, he's the creator of The Walking Dead. So if you know anything about that show... He's a genius. He is a genius. So if you know anything about that show, the things that he likes to do is he likes to make it gory. He likes to 
have some shocking things happen. I would argue he did the Game of Thrones thing before it was big where nobody is really safe. And unlike most comic books, he doesn't retcon his decisions. So if somebody dies, they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. If something big happens that would alter your main characters, you're not going to see them in that situation for a little bit and then retcon it back to how it was some way, shape, or form. They're going to have to process whatever that was that happened and then move on and continue their lives however that looks. This series is a lot of fun. It's a long series, but it does have a definitive end. It's like 144 issues long. Right now you can get this in 12 hardcover volumes or there's three compendiums that were very much like the Walking Dead compendiums that you can pick up. So Robert Kirkman wrote the series. Corey Walker was the artist for the first six issues and very much continued the concepts and ideas of the stories with Robert all the way through the end of the series. When Corey Walker leaves, Ryan Otley comes onto the title and does the art for the rest of the book. And his art is phenomenal. It is very comic booky, cartoony, but it's also super detailed. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on in each one of his panels. The series is Invincible. I highly suggest checking out the show this week when it comes out. And if you like what you see, definitely go and check out the source material because you will not be disappointed. Like I said, this has been one of the funnest books that I've read in a very long time. It's just, it's so much fun and you won't be disappointed. We love fun on this show. Speaking of fun, one thing that I think is fun is Avatar The Last Airbender. I talk about it all the time. I love Avatar The Last Airbender. I love the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender who went on to work on The Clone Wars, which is another one of my favorite animated series, one of my favorite series in one of my favorite Star Wars runs. Michael Dante DiMartino is involved with a comic book now alongside Brian Kotensko, Gene Luen Yang, and Gary Hiru. I know I probably uh, obliterated some of those names. There is a five-part series for Avatar The Last Airbender, and the first book is The Promise. So I just recently read it. Promise immediately follows the end of the first cartoon series, Avatar The Last Airbender. So Avatar The Last Airbender wraps up, and it turns into what happens after that. And one of the main things is that there are a lot of Fire Nation colonies that still exist within Earth Nation territory. And they're like, well, if we're going to try to put this back together and make it work exactly how it was supposed to work, Earth is Earth, fire is fire, air is air, water is water, they're going to be on their land. That's where they're going to be. So it poses a lot of issues and a lot of controversies because this was a war that lasted over 100 years how do you say that, oh, you know, your Fire Nation colony that was in place at this place in the Earth Kingdom for the last 50 years, now you can't be there. That's your home. That's where you've been forever. You can't be there anymore. So there's a lot of things that go into it. A big promise between Avatar Aang and Fire Lord Zuko. It plays a huge part in it, but it is really cool because what I've asked about before, and we talked about it on a couple episodes ago, what would you look for in a comic book um, to continue things? It exists now. And again, it doesn't stretch as far as I would like into the uh, Avatar universe, but it does give us more time and more story 
after they pull the curtains down on the TV show. So the uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, The Promise, is the first of five books in the series, and I would highly recommend it. To my knowledge, they're still writing these, so they very well could get up to that point that you're hoping that they do if the shows and the Avatar-verse that's coming to Paramount now if all of that doesn't answer your questions, I'm sure at some point they'll get to that point in those books. So. Cool thing, too, with a lot of the comics, they're introducing some origin story comics for characters that showed up in the show that were already really progressed in who they were as a character. Like Suki, she's one of the Kyoshi warriors. They have an, an origin comic for her, too. So they're doing some backstory comics, which is, which is also really cool. Just, I will take all the Avatar content. Clearly, the Netflix releasing it on there has become more popular because our own hometown comic book store, House of Heroes, actually reordered it and restocked all of these books and the origin story books as well. So clearly, they're becoming popular. They're becoming more well-known because they're getting stocked even our small-town comic book stores. And I was just there tonight, and I did not see any Avatar books there. So to my knowledge, they're already sold out. Brought them all in, sold them all out. So that's good to hear. Well, folks, we hate to leave you. We love to sit down with you every Friday and give you all of our nerdiness. We are your Midwestern nerds. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-E-R-N-E-R-D-S. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at gmail.com. You can find us on Apple and Spotify and wherever podcasts are found. Please give us some love. I don't get enough love in my life. That's a lie. I get too much love in my life. But I want to hear some podcasts online. You want love. even more love. I want even more love. Can anyone have too much love in their life? No. There's no way. Kevin Smith is proof of that. <laughs> Folks, as always, I'm Chad Coffin. And I'm Brian Stoffel. And whether it's beer, brats, comics, or pops, Keep it nerdy.